Section 4 of The Moon Destroyers by Munro K. Rutch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Scarcely had he finished speaking when the light began to fade, and in a few minutes it was pitch black. Refusing to take anyone along with him, Holden crept out of the airlock, and with an occasional glance at the compass fastened inside his suit, always pointing toward the San Francisco, he set out in the general direction of the wrecked spaceships he had seen piled along the base of the cliff. He made good time, despite the weight of his suit and the poor footing afforded by the loosely piled dust, and finally saw ahead of him the silvery gleam of a ship's side. Afraid to use his light, he crept toward the bow of the craft, passed a huge hole, and reached the nameplate. Following the deeply engraved characters, he slowly spelled out the name, G-L-O-R. His heart gave a great thump. Gloriana, the Earth-Mars passenger transport, into which his own gene had stepped so happily a year previously. A sudden hope flared up and then died down as he remembered the gaping hole he had just passed. The cowards had probably attacked without warning. The terrible cold of outer space had flooded through the opening made by that sharp-pointed prow. He could not bear to carry the image further. With a sob in his throat and murderous hatred in his heart, he continued his search for the pirate stronghold. Winding his way, among other shattered ships, he came to the base of the towering cliff and turned to the right along it, finding his way by constantly touching the hard rock with his gloved hand. Suddenly there was a space where he could touch nothing. Then the texture of the material changed. Carefully shielding the glow, he flashed a light on the wall for a moment. It was metal, not rock. The pirates had walled in a cave with plates from the captured transports. Probably they were living within, in all the luxury of their stolen wealth. A few yards farther on, his searching hand touched a seam in the metal. Still farther, another, evidently the airlock through which the pirates took their ship into the cave. Holden sat down to think. At that moment, the wall against which he leaned began to move slowly outward. A dim ray of light came from the opening which, as he turned to look, he saw to be an airlock. The inner door was closed. Obviously someone was expected to enter. He drew a deep breath, clasped his gun firmly in his right hand, and plunged in. As soon as he entered, the outer door closed. He heard valves click open. Air rushed into the chamber, and the inner door slowly opened, revealing a long hall, dark and ominous. Without removing the helmet of his spacesuit, he started down the hall, but had gone no more than a few steps before he felt a hand on his sleeve, drawing him through a darkened doorway. The door closed, a light flashed on, and before him stood, smiling and happy, his sweetheart, Jean. With a single movement, he flung off his helmet and seized her in his arms. For a short, delicious moment, she clung to him, 
whispering those words that lovers know so well. At last she said, We haven't a minute to lose, Jack. Let me tell you all I know about this place. But Jean, how did you get here? How does it happen that you had access to the airlock? I was captured by these fiends, and am a prisoner, together with about fifteen others, only five of them being men. All the rest were killed, either when the pirates rammed the ships, or here, when they decided the place was becoming crowded. Her face paled at the memory of the horrible massacres, but she went bravely on. We have no spacesuits, and the pirates, of whom there are perhaps seventy-five, let us wander around pretty much as we please. We know of practically everything that goes on. I happened to hear your name mentioned in the phone room the other day, when a spy on your ship sent a message. When the pirates brought their ship in, crippled by the fight, I was sure that you were around somewhere. I have been watching ever since, making use of a sound detector pieced together from some scraps of material I picked up unnoticed. There aren't any guards because the gang is busy repairing the Silver Death, as they call their ship, preparatory to finishing the job they started today. Oh, Jack, you must go now. They may be through at any time. I don't know when I will see you again, if ever, but I couldn't resist talking to you, touching you just once more. One moment, dear. I have an idea. Is there any compartment, farther back or lower down, where you could gather the prisoners together and be safe in case the outer wall was broken down? Yes, she replied breathlessly. One of the older, smaller caves is still airtight, and while the gang is busy, on the silver death, we could go there and close the locks. What good would that do, though? They are certain you can't get in here, or they wouldn't leave the place unguarded. They have your ship surrounded by a wave-proof shield, so you can't communicate with the others of your fleet, you know. I know that, but I think I can steal a leaf from their own book. Will they all be working, say, three hours from now? I think so. Your guns did a great deal of damage, weakening the forward structures of their craft. All right, get your friends together in the old cave you mentioned. Seal it, and then wait till I come back. Tenderly, he kissed her goodbye, then hastened away, anxious to get his work done before the shadow of the cliff again receded. Thanking the fates for the good fortune that had saved Jean, and had led her to the airlock at the moment he was there. He stumbled over the rocks and dust piles until halted by the picket line surrounding the San Francisco. He called the men into the ship and hastened to the pilot room, where Edwards was testing the controls. Any luck? Yes, a lot. Can you get the ship in shape to travel in three hours? She's in pretty good shape now, although not capable of the trip back to Earth. Captain Linnet entered at that moment, and with him, Professor Erickson. Holden recounted his adventures of the last hour, and then set forth his plan. The cave is walled up with thin plating from the ships the pirates had brought in here. The entire gang is at work, repairing their own flyer. None of them, or at least only a few, are wearing spacesuits.
I proposed to drive the bow of the San Francisco into the wall of their cave, previously weakened it by a few bursts from the hexoxen guns. It is possible, replied Edwards, but it will probably put us out of commission altogether. In any case, put in Erickson, we will be rid of this damnable shield and can communicate with our companions. It certainly was the only plan, for as soon as the pirates had repaired their ship, another unequal battle would be waged, with the result very little in doubt. All hands set to work completing repairs on the main stern tubes, the only ones necessary to drive the San Francisco forward. In less than three hours, Edwards pronounced the work done to his satisfaction. As the light began to creep in toward the base of the cliff, the huge ship rose slightly off the ground. The tubes glowed red, and guided by a powerful searchlight installed on the bow, Edwards pointed his craft toward the gleaming metal patch that marked the position of the pirate cave. At short range, Holden, Lynette, and Erickson opened with the three hexoxen guns. They saw the bursts take effect on the metal. Edwards turned the power on full, and they felt the floor leaping under them. Would the bow of the San Francisco hold? Would they all be crushed to death at the impact? Another moment would tell. Holden saw the metal plates dead ahead, could distinguish the seams marking the airlock. He fired one final shot and flung himself to the floor of the pilot room endeavoring to find some means of bracing himself for the shock. Then it came. Torn from his position, he saw the plates buckling and heaving about him. The lights went out. A great crash sounded in his ears, and everything went black. In a moment, he regained consciousness and staggered to his feet, bruised and dizzy. Thank God his spacesuit had not been harmed. A faint glow from the outside made things visible, and he saw that the shock had torn a huge piece out of the plating of the pilot room. A hand clutched his elbow, and through the phone in his spacesuit, he heard Linnet's voice. Erickson and Edwards are knocked out. Let's see what we did to these chaps here. End of section four. Recording by Paul Harvey.